Everybody and welcome to yet another recording of the Roadie on the Horn podcast. I am joined, as per usual, with my co-host Ryan. Ryan, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing great, Donnie. It's an exciting time of the year. Obviously, with the Stanley Cup playoffs in action, the Stanley Cup Finals, even better going on right now. Also, NBA Draft Day, so that's always fun. Big draft guy over here, as you guys know. So, looking forward to chatting about that. But yeah, I mean, Stanley Cup Finals. It's been crazy. It's been fun. It's a fire, fire matchup, I have to say. I mean, I think we've really been waiting all year for, for Colorado and Tampa Bay to go at it. So nice to have that going on. So I'm doing good, man. You know, we also have a guest, probably our most recurring guest at this point. I think he's been on uh, more than anybody else, you know, maybe not by choice all the time. Eric literally texted me last night and said, hey, can I come on the podcast? Can I use this as my episode? I was like, you know, maybe not, but you can definitely come talk. Uh, Eric, how are you doing? What's going on? How are we feeling? I'm doing good. I mean, I, I just really feel blessed that you guys will let me beg and scream and plea on my knees with my hands crossed and pray. Praying both you guys just like get me on the podcast. You know, I, I I'm currently in the dead of the NFL offseason. There's not much going on other than Dan Snyder's getting subpoenaed by Congress and Deshaun Watson settling lawsuits. And I don't really want to talk about either of those things. So I haven't done a podcast in like a week, maybe two, and I probably won't start until July when I go in on division previews and such. So I appreciate being able to get on this podcast and to talk because I do like to talk. Eric loves talk. If you haven't noticed that already, obviously he's, he said 4,000 words in his intro the last time he was here. Um, This time a little bit more abbreviated, but uh, I guess we can just get right into it. Obviously uh, we talked about the NBA finals last week. That was great. But what we didn't talk about at all really was the NHL Stanley cup, given the fact that it was not, it didn't exist yet. Um, But we, we had one game that we talked about, obviously it was, probably the best game of the series, although last night was pretty good. Uh, at this point, uh, we're recording on Thursday. It is currently 12.18 Eastern Standard Time. Um, might be Eastern Daylight Time. I'm really not sure how that works. Um, but we are now at night after or day after game four. Obviously, a very interesting situation. Um, we'll, we'll do a little recap first. Obviously, game one was won by Colorado 4-3. Game two is an absolute domination by Colorado 7-0. Uh, game three, Tampa kind of hit back. Uh, and then we went into game four. Eric's been calling every single game must win since the series began. Um, last night was no different. Eric was, was telling us oh, it's, a, it's a must win game. It had to happen. Obviously, we had uh, what I would say is probably the best game of the series back and forth, you know, uh, action. Game one was good. But last night, you know, it had a little bit of an extra um, meaning to it. Tampa's crowd was pretty you know, I, I'd say they were pretty good. Tampa's crowd always does it well, but Tampa's crowd was not thrilled about the overtime loss that they took based on, um, you know, a couple of things. John Cooper also not very thrilled. First off, I guess I could start with Ryan. RK, what were your thoughts on the game? Uh, did you agree? Would you agree with the my assessment that Colorado pretty much dominated the game after uh, the first period? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, especially in overtime, I thought like the Habs were just dominating and I was like, wow, how is Andre Vasilevsky like holding on at this point in time? Like he was just so dynamite to, to keep his team in it as long as they did. Um, but yeah, I thought Colorado definitely had the upper end, but 
you know, we've seen two overtime games in this series, both go the side of Colorado, you know, each team kind of had the upper engine uh, in terms of game two and three, you know, Colorado dominated game two, Avs kind of dominated or lightning rather kind of dominated game three. So both overtime games flipping the side of the avalanche, they're able to, you know, take the commanding three, one lead right now. So I think they definitely kind of deserved it. As I said, I thought they played the upper end of the play, especially in the overtime period when Vasilevsky was just kind of hanging on ends up coming that Mazam Kadri is blowing by McDonough blowing by Sergachev making a nice finish. But yeah, you said doesn't come without a little bit of controversy as John Cooper is upset. It looked like Colorado had six guys on the ice. McKinnon was a little late getting off. It's a judgment call. That's what the NHL hockey operations put out after the game, not a reviewable play, which to me, that should be a reviewable play for sure. But it's not. It's how it goes. Tampa Falls, Colorado goes up 3-1. But yeah, as I said, I thought overall the abs, you know, they deserved it. I thought they definitely had the, the upper end in the play overall. Yeah, I definitely agree. And obviously everything's going to go back to uh, an overtime goal that it will be one of the more controversial overtime goals that we have in the hockey playoffs probably ever, given the fact that, you know, usually you don't have a coach at the bench screaming and then going straight into his press conference and saying, oh, I'm really just, I'm beat up for my guys. Obviously we were, we were cheated out of the game is essentially what he's saying, which you wouldn't expect uh, a back-to-back Stanley cup champion coach to say, oh, you know, the, the ref screwed us tonight, basically, which is really shocking, but uh, just pretty much to break it down. The first period was like disgustingly Tampa Bay. I would, I would say it was like, if you were an Avs fan as you will get Eric's perspective in just a second here, uh, after the first period, you have to be sitting there thinking like, Oh, we're going to get absolutely pooped on tonight. Like, this is this is going to be a disaster of a hockey game. Um, if you if you care about the money puck statistics at all, the expected goals were 1.7 to 0.6 after the first period. Obviously not a sustainable um, reality for Tampa Bay as they could not hold on. But Eric, I wanted to get your opinion first. Darcy Kemper, you are you are a man that really does not like Darcy Kemper. You have said it many times throughout the season into the playoffs. You have said Darcy Kemper should not be playing. Um, do you still hold that feeling after what I'd say Darcy Kemper had one of the better games of the playoffs in terms of a, a goaltending game in game four? Yeah, I mean, Darcy really showed up. I mean, that there's just no other way to put it. Uh, I have been super critical of Darcy Kemper throughout the playoffs, but he he was so good in game four. I mean, he really faced an onslaught of shots in period one. And honestly, I know you can't stop it directly after a scoring chance, but I honestly don't think that first goal should have counted. It's kind of a cheap goal. He gets his mask knocked off. What is he supposed to do? Like, he can't see. He's not protected well. Like, at that point, the play should stop. I understand that the rule is not that. But still, you know, disappointing for me as an Avalanche fan. He did give up one week goal to Victor Hedman where he probably should have had his pad out a little bit more. But other than that, he made some really great saves throughout the whole night. So nothing but praise for Darcy Kemper. And this one was really, really solid between the pipes for sure. Yeah. RK, do you agree with the assessment that first off, uh, you can start off the ruling on the first goal is very interesting. It's something that I think is um, maybe I agree with Eric a little bit here. Obviously, they're not stopping the play if the puck is right in the crease. It's never going to happen, even if the net's off. You know, regardless, the play's not going to stop. Um, but for for a league that talks about so much about protecting their players and protecting, you know, the health and safety of everybody on the ice, uh, you would think that you know a guy's mask breaks, it falls on the ice, and he's flopping all around trying to make a save. It's a little bit interesting. But um, first off. Anything on that rule, RK, anything that kind of throws you off a little bit with obviously Darcy Kemper, you know, your mask comes off. What are you supposed to do? Yeah, I, I think I kind of side with with how you broke it down there, Donnie. Like they're not going to blow that 
you know, play dead when, when the puck's still loose like that. It's just kind of like a unlucky play, I, I guess, in that type of spot. But it's it's also kind of like a bang-bang spot. You know, I, I can see behind on both sides of it, but I think how you broke it down overall, they're not going to stop a play in that situation. That's kind of how I looked at it. Yeah, and I mean, I think we can probably move forward from that. Obviously, the first period was dominated. I think Darcy Kemper did pretty much a, as good of a job as you could do, kind of weathering the storm in the first period. Um, I'm sure Eric was sitting there thinking, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna give up eight goals tonight," because you know the the Darcy Kemper hate is really strong on his end. Um, but a a quick you know bounce back, obviously from. Um, the avalanche as they score on the power play and then they ended up breaking what was a an nhl record um six games straight in the playoffs at home without giving up a, a single even strength goal from tampa bay which uh, rk just i've never heard of anything like that i don't think that even like that's like realistic how do you not give up a goal six games in a row on even strength um, yeah. especially against a team like colorado you you're playing who is as good of an offense as we've seen in the nhl like ever maybe like it feels like they always have guys on the ice that could do damage yeah, no, it's been uh, it's been crazy how it's uh, how it's kind of come out in terms of like the goal distribution. Like they, I mean, they're just like playing at such a high level right now that you know, like they've just been so dominant on on that side. So like, it's pretty remarkable to to hear something like that. Yeah, and I think obviously we can move forward to what everybody really cares about, which ends up being the overtime winner. Um, in my perspective, as somebody who's watched hockey for a long time, I truly don't care about the line change thing. Like, I, I think the line change is one of the biggest like. I don't know, maybe you can get an advantage by getting your guy off the bench and on the ice, just maybe a second quicker. Um, and obviously we've seen a couple of the analysts with, you know, access to different feeds saying, oh, there were two or three seconds when when McKinnon was not even anywhere close to the bench and Kadri was already off on the ice skating around. Um, first off, you know, I, I guess I'll start with Eric as the Avalanche fan here. Did you see any merit in the call at all? Do you think that there it's something that a coach should be complaining about after losing a hockey game directly? Or do you think that's something that maybe like, because in my perspective, I really don't think that it's fair for anybody to complain about something that happened like that. Cause things like that happen 20, 30, 40 times every hockey game. Right. Yeah. I think it's like, I understand where John Cooper's coming from his teams on the brink of being eliminated from the Stanley cup. And he's got to rally his guys somehow. And he doesn't want to say, oh, we were just gassed in overtime and the abs because they were. You guys have kind of painted this picture that I, I sort of disagree with. I thought that both the regulation periods were super even, actually. Um, I never really thought the abs got a true advantage. I thought they got extremely lucky to get a power play, which they converted into a goal. And then that tying goal was just an extremely gritty, just he's kind of in the paint at the right time to tip in that shot and the overtime the abs just completely dominated them so that's what john cooper's john cooper's not going to come out and say hey our guys will just be up and down the ice constantly in overtime because they they really never got any chances it was pretty much abs dominated the entire time um but to me I'd understand the gripe if McKinnon was directly involved with the play, but he wasn't. I mean, you look at the two, you, you only have to look at the two assists. The two assists went to Darcy Kemper and Lekanen. That means that, and, and that takes a lot of question out of it. That means Darcy Kemper directly passed the puck to Lekanen because he's the last line of defense. And if you're looking at a breakout, the goalie is always going to be the one that starts. So that means only two 
players touched the puck at all during that. So Nathan McKinnon wasn't involved at all. And that's really where I say, okay, John Cooper, like Nathan McKinnon was in no way, shape or form involved with that play. Don't know why you're complaining about it there. RK, would you say you agree with that assessment or do you think that there's a, any question that? Yeah, I, I think like, it, it's tough. Like I can understand where, where John Cooper is coming from. Like, yeah, they had, they had six guys on the ice. That's pretty clear, but at least in terms of what Eric was kind of getting at there, like how much did McKinnon kind of impact the play? Like we know that guys get a little bit of leeway. I think like what I remember of the official rules, like you can be within like five feet of the bench and, and still get on. So like McKinnon was pretty close, but it's just kind of a, you know, this is as big a game as Tampa's played all season, you know, Stanley cup final, you want to even the series, you can understand why John Cooper, you know, was upset where he was coming from, you know, right after the game to have to speak to media, you know, you, you can understand where, where he's coming from there. I think the only difference for me to me on that is that, um, you know, you're, you're still not out of the series. You're the, the series still isn't over. It's still three, one, you know, you're in a hole, but if that was it, if that was like the clincher, then I could see where, where Cooper would kind of be like that. But to me, like the focus should still kind of be on, okay, well, can we figure out a way to, you know, steal game five on the road and, and try to fight back in the series a little bit more so than, oh, we should be, you know, the, we got screwed over in this game. Not even that that's exactly what Cooper said, but it was clearly just like not happy with how, you know, the final car kind of shook out. So I think that part of it was just maybe a little bit surprising to me to get that response from Cooper. Although I do think, you know, it wasn't totally out of question for him to, to feel that way, but Overall, I think, you know, judgment call, not a review of a play. I think how the officials handled it, you know, it, it could have definitely gone on the side of that. And I think even on that point too, like we can't understate, like that was a great play from Nazem Kadri. Like he totally burned Ryan McDonough. He got around Sergachev, made a great move and finish on Vasilevsky, who was stonewalling seemingly everybody uh, on the abs in overtime. So I think that that kind of, you know, side of it took a little bit under as well. What a great play it was from Kadri. Um, as was it as it was a officiating mistake, which I don't even necessarily think that you know it was given that you know McKinnon was right by the bench. So tough play for sure, really kind of close. I, I understand both sides of it, but overall, I kind of looked at it. I was like, wow, great goal for Kadri. You know, the Avs they they kind of earned it with how they played in OT. Yeah, and I wanted to ask one more question to you specifically, RK. Uh, does this have any parallels, the Kadri goal, to what a Patrick Kane uh, probably like? I'd say twelve years ago in the Stanley Cup. You know, obviously not. Uh, nobody except Patrick Kane knew the puck was in the in the net um, with the Avalanche goal last night. Nobody really had any idea. Bowen Byron was the first one to figure it out, and he was pretty far from the play, which is like even on the live feed watching the replay back, I had no idea. You couldn't tell until the replays were slowed down. Like I feel like it's kind of like maybe not the same thing, but there's definitely some comparison to what Patrick Kane did. Obviously, you know he won the Stanley Cup with his. Kadri hasn't done that yet, but. Uh, I think there's just an interesting parallel there to like the puck disappearing and somehow it's in the back of the net and everybody's like, what's going on? Right. Yeah. Cause I, I had that same reaction as you did. Like I saw Vasilevsky just like laying there in the crease. I was like, Oh wow. He, he made another save. Kadri made a nice move, but we couldn't really tell that that puck did get through the back of the net. Obviously on replay, we saw that, but it, it was kind of like a, Oh, Oh, the abs are celebrating right now. Like what's, what's going on? Like I, I didn't see that puck go in. And uh, yeah, like you said, the, the cane goal against the flyers, that was obviously to clinch the Stanley cup on the road, but yeah, definitely some similarities in terms of it being a cup final and being like, Oh damn. Yeah. They actually just won the game. Yeah. Like kind of just came out of nowhere. Yeah, definitely. Um, and one of the more bizarre goals that I can remember seeing, especially in the Stanley cup. And I think just before we move on to talk about game five, um, John Cooper was the beneficiary of a ruling last year uh, against the Islanders where Andre Plot scored with seven guys in the ice. Clearly uh, multiple players were, were not at the bench. Uh, so 
And John Cooper said, oh, you know, that's hockey. So if John Cooper's going to say that's hockey, I think, you know, that's hockey. I think we're just going to keep with that ruling regardless. But I think we can move on to game five. Eric, uh, going to back to Denver, they can clinch it at home, win it at like just in front of all those fans that are paying exorbitant amounts of money to watch them play hockey. Um, does that mean anything different? Do you think that game five is like the game to finish it? Or do you think if they lose game five, we're talking about maybe a seven game series and we're talking uh, some danger at home? I think it, we're talking danger at home. I think the Lightning are just a really good team that have played super well within the playoffs and have so much playoff experience that if you don't close out game five, like there's almost no way I could see them losing an elimination game six where they have to win on home ice. Like if there was a team I had to bet on to say, okay, it's game six, you're down three, two in the NHL playoffs, which team are you taking to get that third win? I would say the Tampa Bay lightning far and away. They are the, one of the best closeout teams in hockey and have done a tremendous job with that. That happened, I believe now I might be wrong on this. It's been a while since the first round happened, but I believe that's how the Toronto series went, right? They, they, lost game five and then ended up winning game six correct yes and seven yeah yeah so that that's they've had experience with that in this playoff run before and honestly if you lose three one and then suddenly they win that they're on a two-game winning streak going into game seven and that's just that's terrible that's like all out panic mode because I know how that ends. That ends with heartbreak in Colorado and Eric crying on the couch. So, like, I, I, I'm really, you know, I, I'm not trying to have that happen. That's why I say game five is a must-win game. Um, I'll be interested to see how they play at home. There was a lot of complaints from Avalanche players, especially Nazem Kadri in game four, that the ice in Tampa was not good. Like, just had was bad quality was choppy to skate on and I kind of buy into that like the, the way they, they just had to play a very different game when they were in Tampa a more gritty kind of physical forechecking game where everything was kind of you gotta win every inch of ice whereas Colorado it was just a track meet in game one and game two and I think if they can play that way in game five that's the way they've got to play they've got to play the way they did in game two and game one which is just like we're skating as fast as we can every shift and we're just running these guys into the ground because Tampa just does not have the speed to keep up with Colorado and if you do that on home ice where the ice is good in Colorado and they're used to skating then that's going to be a huge advantage, I think. And I don't normally buy into stuff like ice conditions and stuff like that, but I do think it'll be a huge advantage in game five to get back to Colorado where they skate really fast. Well, RK will tell you, you know, the ice condition is definitely a real, it's a real concern depending on where you are, especially in Florida. Like uh, this has happened before. This is, there's nothing new about, Oh, them saying, Oh, the ice is not great today because you can tell, especially if it's a hot day out. Um, 
Okay, I think it was a couple of years ago. We had some real issues in the Stanley Cup ice. It may have been in Tampa two two years ago, if I remember correctly, where players were saying, "Yeah, this is trash. Like this is really really bad." Uh, you know, but obviously, when you get into to the summer months, hockey probably shouldn't be played this late into the year. I just realistically speaking, like hockey is a winter sport uh, in every sense of the word, and the fact that we're playing games. Uh, late june we're gonna get up if it goes to game seven we're talking june 29th i think for for game 28th yeah kind of ridiculous if you ask me but um one point that i want to bring up before we move on from the nhl tampa's injuries have probably i would say if anything it's kind of gutting the series for them no brain point a real issue nikita kucherov is not playing fully healthy although a lot of players are not playing fully healthy last night we saw eric chernak take a puck to a spot where there's quite literally no no padding other than a sock um and if you've ever held up or put on a a sock for hockey it's there's nothing there like you're you're get taking a 90 mile per hour um he took a 90 mile per hour shot from nathan mckinnon to basically yeah. a kneecap that's tough. tough um in terms of injuries like i want to ask Arky before we move on brain point obviously a massive loss we, we nobody's going to argue against that can tampa even like get this done without those guys because obviously we're talking about nick paul's playing hurt and doesn't look super effective all the time although he does make plays he pickpocketed nathan mckinnon generated a very good opportunity last night uh we're talking about nikita kucherov uh playing hurt not 100 brain point not even playing eric chernak hurt it gets to the point where the injuries mount a little bit to the point where like you can't really come back from that it's like had tampa had uh no brain point for the playoffs before eric chernak was out maybe they're not even they don't even make it this far um RK, do you think the injuries are kind of just like slowing down Tampa's chances, like kind of ruining their, their opportunity to, to strike here? Yeah, I think it maybe, you know, lowers the, the chances, obviously, when you're not at, at full strength. But like you also said, Donnie, like everyone's playing hurt. Like everyone knows the Stanley Cup playoffs, these guys are fighting through, you know, insane injuries that regular people would be, you know, out for months, let alone competing and at the highest level. So like, I feel like hockey is just kind of like a different breed. Like everybody's going through it. It, it, To me, it's hard to look at that as like an excuse or rationale or like, you know, like it's hard for me to kind of fully go that direction of saying, oh, Tampa, how can they compete? Cause like, you know, they still had a game where they kind of dominated Colorado in game three. Like they, we, they still have made it all the way to the Stanley cup final, even though they've been without Braden point for a little bit. So they still have been able to persevere in these playoffs, even given their, their injury situations. So I still feel like, if there's any team that could come back in a situation like this against Colorado, who's only lost three games, this entire playoffs. And in terms of beating them three more times, like the rest of this series, it, it would have to be Tampa Bay, just given the fact that we should give them a little bit of, of push because they've won two Stanley cups in a row. They've come back from situations where everyone was counting them out. They've come back in series. They fought with this core that they still have with led by Stamkos you know, I, I still feel like I'm not ready to, to kill, kill Tampa Bay quite just yet. Um, you know, I, I feel like they're, they're going to come into game five and they're going to come out pretty hot because at least for me, like, you know, in some of my experiences, when I, when I've seen the team go down three, one, yeah, they, they, you know, it's going to be a, a tough challenge in Colorado and, and they didn't win either game when they played their uh, in games one and two, but you know, Tampa Bay could come in, Hey, we're not trying to win three games in, in one night. We just need to win game five and survive. So if, if Tampa Bay can just focus in on that, you know, they've been outstanding at rebounding from losses historically over the last three years. 
I feel like if they can focus in, they can take game five, then they can start to build some of that momentum like Eric was kind of fearing as an avalanche side. So I still think Colorado will end up winning the series, but I'm not ready to say I'm, I'm killing the lightning or that injuries is becoming too much for them. I still feel like they they have a little bit of a, of a pedestal that, that they can rely back upon, just given that they've been so strong and still how good Vasilevsky has been. I, I can never be stated enough with, with how great he, he is in, uh, in the net for them. Yeah, and I think, you know, before we move on to the NBA draft, obviously Avalanche are dealing with injuries as well. Sam Girard being out is a big loss. Andre Burakovsky right. not playing is yeah. a big loss. Nazem Kadri's playing with with half a thumb, basically. Like, it's it's that's tough scenes. Obviously, Nazem Kadri, like, he looked like he's he was totally back. healthy. Back, though, yeah. It's so ridiculous how Nazem Kadri plays hockey, like, a week after surgery, and he just looks like he's a, a totally fine, like, no issues. But I think, you know, that's the, oh, please like my sport coming out from me. Um, but you have to respect the hockey players for grinding through what they grind through. Um, Eric, any last thoughts on the Avalanche before we move on to the NBA draft? Yeah, I refuse to jinx my team. All I'll say, I think game five goes to overtime. That's what, that's my, my, that's my thought. I think we get another OT game in game. All five. right. When the game is 11 to three, you know, I'll definitely come back and say, you know, this is why, this is why we don't buy into Eric Jensen manifestos here, but uh, 11 to three would be something else. Tommy. Yeah, if, if the game is 11 to three, especially if Tampa wins 11 to three in Colorado, let me tell you, Eric's going to be shitting bricks. He is going yeah, to be, he, he's, he's going to be very upset. Um, <laughs> but we can move on to, uh, you know, the NBA, the season's over, but we go straight into the draft, which is kind of how the NHL season is going to be. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of NHL draft talk coming up pretty much immediately after the Stanley Cup. However, the NBA draft, uh, you know, looming here, Orlando Magic, you know, a team that I would say is fairly incompetent for, for a large portion of the, the last decade or, or two even. Um, obviously, you know, they, they've ended up with a little bit of luck. Unfortunately, this is the draft where you actually have to put some work in and to figure out who the number one pick is going to be. And we're going between three guys. It doesn't really seem like there's a, a consensus considering there's no real favorite. The betting odds are pretty much like, you know, we're talking about Jabari Smith's like the, the slight favorite. Chet's right there. Uh, Paolo's right behind him. We're at a point where, you know, this is the year and, and you know you could say this pretty much any year but i think this is the year where we really look at the top three and there's gonna be one of those guys that's gonna be absolute like dog there's somebody who's gonna really bust out of the top three and it's gonna look really bad for whoever doesn't get one of those players uh, i guess we can start off with uh rk what are we thinking for the number one pick who would you guess uh goes number one with all the news and intel we've had in the last couple of weeks months you know yeah going off that intel shout out to the guy woge obviously woge dropping a bomb early this morning he put out that per sources he's got Jabari Smith going to Orlando one Holmgren going two to Oklahoma city and Banchero going three to Houston. So definitely will take Woj's sources over any of my opinions ever. So I like Jabari Smith personally. I think he's the top player in this draft, you know, watching him play at Auburn. I feel like he has such a complete game, great shooter, outstanding defensively. He can ball handle. He's athletic. He can finish at the rim. I think he's definitely the most complete player to me in this draft. So I think there's a lot to like, and certainly sounds like Orlando's going to grab him with the first spot yeah eric moving forward to the number two pick uh if jabari smith is gone would you rather go with chet holmgren or would you go with palo bancaro what would you be thinking if you're oklahoma city who pretty much they can go anywhere on the board right like they don't have a whole lot to build off of yeah this, this might be kind of an unpopular take i do like chet holmgren a lot i think he's the type of player that could change the way we think about the center position he's just a dynamic offensive player that can shoot the three ball and is also just has tremendous handles and also just happens to be seven feet tall. But I will say 
The Thunder drafted Josh Giddy last year. Josh Giddy, towards the end of the year, started playing pretty well for the Thunder, actually. If you look at the box scores, which in the regular season, I'm an NBA box score fan, and uh, Josh Giddy put up some good box score numbers. So I like Josh Giddy a lot. And Holmgren, there's still development. He only weighs 195 pounds. He's super skinny. Like he needs to get in an NBA gym. I go Paulo. Paulo Bancaro, he's 6'10", 250 pounds, looks like an NBA player. When he was at Duke, like, you watched a Duke game and you were like, oh, yeah, that's an NBA player right there. Like, I think that better fits the need of the Oklahoma City Thunder, and uh, I'd probably go Paulo. Even though Giddy technically plays power forward, you could move him to center and – center is such a fluctuating position at this point anyways with the way NBA schemes are run I just think Paulo's the guy to go with it too you know RK just a, a quick question on on height and weight you know I think we put a lot of value into the height and weight aspect of the sport especially basketball um, but it is it's kind of shocking how skinny Chet Holmgren is like it's a little bit surprising that he is 30 40 50 pounds less than some of the guys that are projected to go around him in the, in the lottery like for example a guy like Jalen Duran who yeah, 6'11 250 like that sounds a little bit more realistic um, there are some guys that just can't put on weight there's some guys that just can't get big obviously RK you you are somebody who has struggled to put on weight in in the history of of time here um is there any like concerns there? Cause I, I think that it's like maybe a big red flag to have a guy that just that skinny, that lanky, it sounds like an injury risk waiting to happen. And honestly, like there's some big boys in the NBA. He can get bullied pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I, I, I am the one to talk about this. Topic, <laughs> so I appreciate it. Well, for me with, with Holmgren, like I understand, you know, clearly he's, he's clearly underweight at this moment in time right now, but I think for me, like I, every time I'm, I'm looking at the draft and I think, you know, some sports are, are more about this than others. I think basketball is probably among the least, but you're drafting for the long term, of course. Like you're, you're not drafting a guy even in, in the top three for, you know, him to immediately be the MVP of, of the NBA. You know, like, like you're, you're looking for a guy who in five to seven years is going to be a superstar. You know, you're looking for a guy in the long term that's going to be your franchise centerpiece and he'll develop into being one of the top players in the NBA. You're projecting him out a few years down the line in terms of after you can get him in a strength and conditioning program or whatever it is that they need to develop. That's the case, obviously, for Holmgren. But when you look at the tools for Holmgren, there's a lot to like. He can ball handle extremely well. He can shoot from three extremely well. And defensively, he holds his own. I think there were a lot of times this year where, yeah, he's, you know, light and can get bodied a little bit down low, but he's a rim protector. He can, he can stuff you at the rim for sure. I think that's a trait that when I saw in Holmgren, I was like, okay, that gives me a little bit of hope that sure, this guy certainly could still go in the top three and develop into a superstar. And I mean, the easy example of a situation where that happened and it worked out big time is going to be Giannis. You know, when Giannis entered the NBA, he wasn't even regarded as a, as a top five, you know, prospect, but he had the potential, the Greek freak to where he could develop if he put on weight and he continued to grow and develop his ability as a shooter that he could turn into this superstar athlete that we see now. I think even Kevin Durant is kind of another example where he was kind of a lengthy, you know, smaller guy, but he had all the raw traits where once he was able to develop, he turns into, you know, one of the top players in the NBA. 
day. And I see a similar light to, to Holmgren on this. I certainly still, especially for a team like Oklahoma City at two, for example, they got a long way to go before they're ready to compete with the Golden State Warriors or a team for, for the NBA championship. But if you can let Holmgren develop in your own system, let him get the minutes, you know, obviously help him out in terms of seeing if you can help him put on some weight, of course, as that's the glaring flaw in his game. But I think there's still a lot to like, and I certainly don't view it as a significant red flag. I still think he can develop into being one of the best players in the NBA in, in you know, four to eight years. Yeah, you know, I think that's fair. And I, I think people do, uh, you know, undervalue the fact that these guys do have to develop in the NBA. It's kind of just like, oh, you're expected to step right in and be a star. Right. We see it every year with rookies. Like people say, oh, this guy was underwhelming. And all of a sudden they end up turning out to be a very good player three or four years down the line. Um, there's been a lot of talk, Eric, on trades, NBA draft day trades, stuff like that. We've seen um, there's a lot of rumors about the number four pick Sacramento has probably looking to get assets, maybe not interested in getting like Jaden Ivy, for example. Um, do you buy anything? Do you find any merit in the fact that like maybe Sacramento would be better? They would benefit from trading out or trading down and just picking up assets long term rather than going with a guy like, say, Jaden Ivy or Keegan Murray, who I think Arca can talk about in a little bit. Um, if you're Sacramento at four, you don't have any of the top three guys. Obviously, you're looking for the top three guys in this draft. The rest of the draft is a little bit more hit or miss. Um, Sacramento have any any reason to trade out of that, or do you think they should make a pick at four? I think the Kings, the Kings' strategy to just consistently stay bad, <laughs> like, doesn't make any sense to me it's so sad like like at some point you've just got to keep drafting guys until you hit on someone like you look at the number of like high profile names they have on their team or have had on their team here in fox marvin bagley um davion mitchell last year and davion mitchell was great last year he was a great defensive player i mean if you add Jaden Ivey to the mix, maybe at some point you just accumulate enough of these top tier guys that you put it together and you can at least like the fact they couldn't even fight for that play in tournament spot when the bottom of the West was so weak was just so sad. Like, I don't know, Donnie, like, I guess I would just, ask back to you like what does Sacramento gain from pushing this off from like gaining more draft picks like you're not like you're gonna be bad again and then the lottery screws you in the in another year so you can't get the top guy like just like get middling because middling teams in the NBA with the way the playoffs are formatted now have a chance to make the playoffs and make some money that they can spend on free agents so I don't know. I'd make a pick here. I I definitely wouldn't trade back if I if I were the Kings. I and I just think Jaden Ivey is a dynamic college basketball player. I think he's really really good, and he he's a little light too, like uh, Holmgren is. But I think he has the ball handling skills and just like that kind of John Morant like ability to have crazy body balance and get to the rim every time that he'll be a super successful NBA player. So I would not pass on Jaden Ivey. Yeah. I think, you know, we've talked about it in other sports, uh, you know, middling is not a great place to be in the NHL. For example, you get in a very bad spot. 
but I think the Kings would probably take a middling team rather than what they've been doing the last couple of years, obviously making big trades during the season. They picked up Sabonis, which is just a really interesting, just dynamic that I didn't expect to have. Um, I guess we can round out the top five uh, in terms of projections. I've seen a lot of talk about Keegan Murray to Detroit. RK, obviously our, our resident Iowa fan, given the fact that I guess he's the only one that knows Iowa exists among this group of three. Um, RK, you know, as somebody who has listened to you talk about Keegan Murray before, maybe not as glowingly as, you know, a top five NBA draft pick should be like, is that not scary to you a little bit? The fact that this guy that you've seen and you've actually brought up weaknesses with me before time and time again, uh, this guy's projected to go top five all of a sudden after what ended up being a really effective offensive season. Um, scary to you at all? Yeah, I think like maybe while I was watching him, I kind of saw him as like a mid first round pick, maybe like back half of the lottery kind of a guy. But I mean, I think there's still, you know, a lot of things to like really good ball handler, really good ability to shoot, um, you know, really kind of carried Iowa last year in, in a lot of ways after they lost, you know, Luca Garza and Joe Wieskamp, who, you know, were kind of later NBA draft picks, but were very impactful guys at the collegiate level with Iowa. So to see how Murray really kind of, you know, took the team on his back, to be honest with you, um, you know, that was certainly really impressive in terms of like, even like a leadership standpoint, but I think he does have the raw basketball traits to where it could be warranted for him to go, you know, as early as five. Um, you know, I think there is definitely a big drop off between where, you know, those top three guys are. And I even like a guy like Jaden Ivy, definitely more than, uh, than Murray as well. But I still think that Murray is going to be a, a pretty solid player, but I think it'll take him a little bit of time still to adjust. But, you know, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for guys to develop and in, uh, you know, a handful of years, they become these really big impactful pieces that can be cornerstones for you, you know, to start winning some playoff series and, and really making a big impact. I, I feel like there's always one of these guys that's very good, like you pointed out. I your assessment of Murray uh, Ryan especially because you watched him more than me but just from what I got especially that Big Ten tournament run this year he was so good but um, there's always one of these guys that is projected to be a top five pick and then he falls to like kind of mid-round to like a bubble playoff team like the Cavaliers or something like that and then just ends up being a perfect fit for him I think Keegan Murray's that guy this year I really don't think he gets taken as high as five I think it's more likely he falls somewhere like maybe even um, New Orleans or San Antonio and they pick him up. So I I, I think uh, that he's going to fall down a little bit. And then if he fell out of the top 10, I mean, the Thunder or another team or speaking of the Cavaliers, it could be the Cavs as well. So I think he's probably not a top five pick to me, though. He's just a little bit too slight of frame to take at number five for me like which is where this mock draft that I'm reading at least has not the last question that I have for for pretty much anybody here we've seen a lot of you know there's a lot of discussion year after year about random trades that happen during the draft or around the draft um we've seen teams like the Lakers and Knicks pretty much talk about oh yeah we need to figure something out we need to make a move here um, is the NBA draft the time to be doing this and, and make rash decisions or should you be waiting to see how NBA free agency, you know, rolls out? Obviously there's a lot of different, um, interesting little discussions about say Kyrie Irving right now, which is, you know, maybe not the most ideal situation given the fact that we're going to have a Kyrie Irving free agency discussion for the next 15 years, um, until he decides to retire at age 46, uh, after teaching everybody the world is flat. Um, RK, last question before we move on here. 
is the NBA draft the right time? Is this the right time to be trying to make crazy moves? Or do you think like, especially with a really, really rushed off season, like could we be seeing some, some huge mistakes potentially tonight? Yeah. I mean, I feel like every year there, we can look back and say like, Oh, this was a terrible draft day trade. So I'm sure it's bound to happen, but also at the same time, there's also kind of a flip side where if your team, you come in super prepared and you've like, you know, kind of like done your research, you can kind of capitalize on that where a team, you know, you kind of can take advantage of another team who's getting like super excited about this, you know, one prospect or one veteran player they're looking at going after. And you can maybe get a little bit more value than you would have gotten for that player at a, you know, different portion of the, uh, you know, calendar year. So I think there is definitely an element where teams are, you know, just looking to, you know, cause chaos, create, create action, like a GM wants to get some publicity. Oh, look at what we did. Look at what we did. But I think there's also a flip side where some teams can kind of take advantage of other teams being a little bit over aggressive. So I think it's certainly possible that, uh, you know, we're going to get some moves, uh, you know, draft day always has trades, but at least in terms of, you know, current NBA players move for picks. I think we could see a little bit of that as well. Yeah. You know, I think that's fair. Obviously we will break down the NBA draft uh, a little more length next week. Um, we did get some news mid podcast that Eric put in our zoom chat about Arch Manning, uh, a very interesting turn in, in the Arch Manning saga, given the fact that I feel like he's been linked to about 33 different colleges um, in his time as a, a pretty much a, a sterling perfect prospect in terms of how they give him the rating. Um, I, I believe that he had the perfect one uh, composite rating, which is like Vince Young level. Vince Young, college quarterback, maybe the greatest college quarterback I've ever seen. So um, if anything, that's that's a good uh, place to be but he decides to play for texas um obviously there's some nil um there's nil money ready to come through texas uh we'll start off with you eric is texas back are, are we declaring texas back right now or no um i like texas i i, I like this sark hiring uh i'm a fan of texas i, I like what they do but they're oh. almost assuredly not back Dang. <laughs> um, like they um they constantly think they're back and they're right on the precipice of being back. But probably until they win the big 12 in this week year where the big 12 is in a transition period and they might not even win the big 12 this year. It might be, it's probably going to be Baylor, but, um, or until they get, good enough in the sec which might take literally 10 years because i think they're going to get summarily smacked around in the sec for about the first three years of their existence they're just like not built that way um but no i would say texas texas's profile is back but they are not truly back everyone will watch texas because arch manning is there and and the other question i have for you donnie and and ryan is how good do you believe Arch Manning actually is? Because you know, the last I, name, that's all I need. I, I understand that these recruiting people, and I have lots of friends who are really into recruiting here in Salt Lake, and I really respect what they do. But to me, analyzing high school kids is such a crapshoot. If you have any sort of arm talent, and if you have any sort of accuracy, you're probably going to be a four or five star quarterback. And then if your last name's Manning, that's probably going to put you over the top. And that's probably why you have that number one overall ranking with like Vince Young. Does that mean he's actually that good? Do I think New Orleans private schools have the best high school football in the country? No, I think that exists in like Louisiana and 
California and Alabama, like and Mississippi for that matter. Georgia. Like, it's it and Georgia, like it's probably not New Orleans, the New Orleans suburbs and private schools in New Orleans that have the top competition. That said, I'm a Manning guy. I'll be rooting for Arch Manning at Texas. I just want to say, everybody, let's calm our jets. We don't know if this guy's going to be an NFL quarterback yet. Let's see how he does against real competition. And he'll probably get to play in the SEC for a few years. So let's see how he does against the SEC, and then we can make our predictions. You know, I, I personally don't buy into the whole genetics argument. Um, most of the time, I think that, you know, you have somebody in the NFL in your family. It doesn't mean you're going to make the NFL. However, um, the Manning family is a little bit different. There's a very special, uh, you know, there's a, an emotional attachment to me, uh, specifically with, with the the stupid Manning brother. Um, no, no, I agree. You you know, my favorite athlete of all time is Peyton, and I would do literally anything for him in this entire world. And Peyton Manning, if you personally reach anything, out me, anything, literally, if Peyton Manning was like, Eric, I will meet you right now and take a picture with you and just go to lunch with you for a little bit. I will be the number one Arch Manning supporter for my entire life. I'll say he's the number one draft prospect. I'll always defend him in the NHL. I'll buy every peach of NHL. Arch Manning. Wow. Or, Arch- All these part. <laughs> NFL, damn. Uh, but uh, I'll buy every piece of piece of Arch Manning merch. Just come have lunch with me, Peyton Manning. I guess that's that's really the gist of this. Come have right. lunch with yeah, me. Yeah, RK, do you think there's any chance that Peyton Manning has lunch with Eric Jensen just on, on a random Thursday at 1 p.m.? What are you thinking? Yeah, that was probably the most interesting segment I've ever witnessed <laughs> on, on our own podcast. I got like three things to say. One, if you're going to shout out anyone on this podcast, it has to be Sheck West, Eric. Absolutely. So yeah, I know. You. No Peyton Manning lunch <laughs> shouts on here. Arch Manning, prediction here. I think he decommits from Texas before he actually goes to school there because I think someone else is going to pay him more money. And number three, I think Arch Manning is good, but I don't think he's going to be as good as Eli or Peyton Manning. So I think, you know, a little over, I'm not going to claim I watched this guy in high school as well, like you were saying, Eric. But I, I feel like, you know, it's just like to me, I'm just like, eh, is this guy really going to live up the expectation of, 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 you know, his uncles who had, you know, multiple Super Bowls? Like, come on. Like, I, I just think that would be such an unrealistic ceiling for us to put on some kid who's just entering his senior year of high school right now. So I, I'm not quite going all in on the Arch Manning hype. And like I said, I think someone else is going to pay him a fatter bag and, and we see him decommit from Texas before he goes there. Just to, just think, to feel, it just came out today, but that's my thoughts. I'm actually, as soon as you said that, Ryan, I 100% agree. Texas just offered him like $2 million and he'll take that. And then guess what? But he's not going to decommit. He'll go to Texas. He'll play like maybe a year for them. And then he'll say, okay, I'm going to go transfer to Alabama now. Like. Yeah. Go win some national titles. We love the transfer portal here. It's a little bit unhinged. It's a little bit, you know, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me all the time. Um, But yeah, just want to touch on on one more thing before we move on from Texas. Obviously, people thought Texas was back last year if they started four and one. RK, I'm sure you remember Twitter um, was was very excited and they decided to lose Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State, Kansas and West Virginia consecutively. So um, Texas is not back. RK and I, uh, the, the Roth pod position on Texas, not back um, currently. Uh, RK, is there any anything that you could say that will make Texas be back? Or are we just thinking, yeah, this is this is a dead mission here? Well, I, I was actually surprised, Eric, you said you're, you're a fan of Steve Sarkeesian. I think that was like a match made in disaster, like just waiting to happen, start going to Texas. Like how long before this guy's like drunk on the sideline calling another halfback option or something. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see, obviously. 
what ends up happening there. But yeah, I mean, I just see, I, I'm just not a fan of how Texas kind of operates their program. Like, I feel like they are able to get high recruits because they're like, you can come to Austin. That's not too bad. I can see how a college or a high school kid would be in on that, but I just feel like their player development is just lacking really to, to put it, to put it frankly. So. And also I just saw this on Twitter and I don't know how to escape my mind. They literally have Quinn Ewers. Like, they it was do, also yeah. a perfect prospect uh, like, in terms of the composite rating. From Ohio State. Like, one of those two guys is definitely not playing at Texas because both of them will be demanding to start day one they get on campus. I think campus there's a eligible. chance that, that uh, well, so as yours, you know, he, he was basically like a high school senior last year, but he was still with Ohio State, transferred to Texas. So I don't, and since Manning still has his high school senior year, I think there might be potential where there would only be like a year of overlap between the two. Maybe, maybe not, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, it is an interesting caveat. You know, I think we've, uh, we've had enough sports talk for one day, given, given the fact that we were pretty much broke down one singular hockey game. And then now yeah. we're breaking down, uh, you know, a, a commitment that isn't even going to take effect for another year. Obviously, you know, the Manning family, it's, it's built different. You know, we're really, I'm rooting for him. Um, but I think we can go on to, we, we don't have questions, but we have a comment, which is just an interesting little twist to an already pretty wacky podcast. Um, you know, RK, go ahead. G- give me, give me a comment. What have you got? Like, explain this to me. Okay. So, uh, you know, this week, you know, obviously a, a big hockey series is going on in the Stanley Cup final. So I, I, I sent a text out to come my friends, simple question. I was like, game four, who you got between Colorado and Tampa. And so I had a, you know, handful of conversations with, with different people about what they thought about the series. And my friend, Ian, I messaged him after the game ended. And he said that the bolts are done. He said the bolts are fucking out of power. He said there's not a bolt of lightning coming from the state of Florida strong enough to jumpstart the team bus after that one. So Ian's burying him. He's putting him in the grave. He's done with Tampa. He said they won two years in a row with the abs. They're going to they're gonna hoist the Stanley Cup because Tampa is out of it. So, yeah, Ian was fired up. He's, he's, he's very adamant that, that Tampa Bay is out of this. I said that they're not. But Ian, Ian told me that they are, and that would mean Eric was very happy because it would mean the Avs have won the Stanley Cup. So there you go. Thank you for sharing that. Ian, good thoughts from him on that one. Eric has questions, though. Eric, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to touch on baseball because baseball has been playing and I have been watching. I just want to ask you two this question. How have, despite losing a bunch of players in free agency and being caught up in all these scandals and stuff like that, how do the Astros just remain so consistently great? Because I, you can say all you want that they play in a weak division, but they have summarily smacked around the Mets, who people think might be the best team in baseball. Some people do at least, or, or at least a second team behind the Yankees. Like, how do the Astros remain so consistently good it feels like they've been on this run where they're going to win like between 90 and 100 games for the past six years i i guess i can take the the start of this one um so there was a a very popular uh cover of a a certain sports uh you know i guess you call it a magazine that uh had you know the astros are next up because of all the prospects they had and there's a reason they had all those prospects the astros were very bad for a long time this last eight years in a row uh they were a sub 60 win team so that means 100 or more losses for a couple years in a row there um the MLB, you just got to, you got to draft. Well, really like you, you can pretty much do whatever you want, but the big thing is like Jordan Alvarez came from nowhere. It's a great trade. They made this guy's like maybe one of the best power hitters in baseball. I don't think there's really much of an argument there that he uh, could very well be a 40, 50 home run guy. Uh, it just, 
they made some savvy moves. I think that the Astros have really set themselves up um, by hitting rock bottom. We've seen teams like maybe the Cincinnati Reds are, are a similar team who is going to hit rock bottom for a couple of years. Maybe we'll be able to bounce back. I wouldn't put my confidence in the Cincinnati Reds ever, uh, period. And I think RK would probably agree with me there. But in baseball, when you miss a playoff seven, eight years in a row, you get these high draft picks. You have a lot of uh, international free agency money. You can do whatever you want. Uh, and the Astros, they kind of took advantage of the fact that, oh, you know, they're a Southern team. They can look into Mexico and, and the other um, the other, you know, South American uh, countries that do well, obviously, Caribbean countries do well with baseball as well. Uh, they just they spend a lot of time focusing on not winning baseball games and it's end up really working out for them, I would say. RK, have anything to, to add there? Yeah, I mean, the Astros, I, I think it's a good observation from you on that, Eric, because I think there would be a lot of people that would have thought after kind of the cheating scandal news broke out, like, oh, the Astros, they're going to falter. Like, how are they going to bounce back from that? And obviously, they were, they made a, a deep run last year. And, you know, here they are again, you know, weak division, albeit, but like you said, they're, they're still going good. And I thought Donnie brought up a lot of good points. For me, when I heard you ask that, I think the thing that stands out for me about the Astros I think their lineup does get a lot of, you know, popular buzz as they should. They've got a, a really good core Alvarez, especially like they lost Correa. They've still been able to be good for me. It's on the pitching side. Like they traded for Verlander a couple of years ago, and obviously he's back this year having an outstanding season, but other guys that they've been able to kind of bring on like Framber Valdez, Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy, Christian Javier, like, they have got a handful of starting pitchers that are just kind of out there doing their job. Like they are able to get a lot of strikeouts and go deep in ball games for the Astros. I feel like their starting pitching has really kind of been an undersung reason in terms of why they've been able to have so much, so much success. Cause you know, they lose a guy like Garrett Cole, you know, when Dallas Keuchel was there, he was dominant, but like the, those guys are gone and they've still been able to replace them with guys of similar value. And uh, they've been able to just find a way to have good starting pitching that has been able to, to complement their lineup really well. So that's kind of the big thing for me with the Astros that I think has been a driving factor and why they've had a lot of success again this year. And, and over the last couple is that their starting pitching has really kind of been underrated. I would say. Three at or above 500 teams that have been kind of good over the past few weeks. And I just wonder which one of these you guys think is most likely to make the playoffs? The White Sox, the Marlins, or the Rockies? You know, I'll take this. I don't think there's any question that I'd pick the White Sox among that group, given the fact the AL Central is just abysmal. It's a really, really sad division to watch. Uh, obviously, the Twins, they made some moves. They tried to get better. The Guardians are playing good baseball because of their pitching. But uh, as RK and I talk about often, RK is a Chicago baseball fan, first and foremost. Uh, he's a big White Sox guy. They've had a, a, an interesting little, like, stumble here to start the season. Um, what I would not have expected, given the fact that, as I said, the division is so weak. Uh, however... I don't know. I think, you know, we're talking about like the Rockies, for example, it's a team that's going to have a lot of trouble being able to battle back um, from a, a tough start. Obviously they're, they're a, a very high end home team, a very low end road team. And I think that's kind of how it works with the Marlins as well. It's another team that's, you know, uh, a couple of games under 500 kind of grinding their great pitching staff, um, but the hitting is not there yet. They don't have a deep enough lineup as the Rockies probably don't have a deep enough lineup to compete. Whereas the White Sox, I think, uh, if RK and I probably both picked the White Sox to be a top two, top three team in the AL this year. So I think I, I'd go with Chicago. Like, I, I think they've even been a little bit, you know, uh, surprising in terms of like, maybe not as many injuries as you'd expect with a White Sox team. This is a White Sox team that's always hurt. Uh, however, you know, Yohan Moncada's hurt again. So maybe I just, maybe I'm jinxing that right now, but um, they stay healthy. Uh, the White Sox should still be the favorite to win the division and, and win it by five or 10 games, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I agree with you, at least just touching on, like, the Marlins. Like, I love the Marlins pitching. Like, I really do. I feel like they're actually, like, a solid ball club, but they got the Mets and the Braves in their division. Don't think it's going to happen realistically. And then the Rockies, you know, you got the Dodgers and the Padres and the Giants in your division. Don't think it's going to happen realistically. So, for the same reasons Donnie outlined the division, I agree with the White Sox. But, man, they've just significantly underperformed. I think the injuries are really only kind of half the story. I mean, right now they got Moncada, as you mentioned, Donnie, Jimenez, Grandal and even Liam Hendricks on the injured list. But I feel like even the, their pitching has just kind of underperformed them this year. Like Gilito's had a couple of tough starts lately. Dylan Cease has been pretty solid overall, but, you know, still maybe not your number one starter that you'd want. Michael Kopech has had some good games. He's also had some, some rough games. Like Johnny Cueto has come back, and now he's starting games for the White Sox. So I feel like it's just kind of been an underperformance this year for, for the White Sox, but they have that potential where they could have a dynamite second half because they have those guys. If they're able to come back from injury, if a guy like Lucas Giolito is able to come back to form a little bit and be that number one starter that they count on him to be, then they kind of line up as having a, a pretty solid, uh, you know, starting rotation. And, um, you know, they can, they can kind of build on that when they have the benefit of playing teams like Detroit and Kansas city a lot. So I think that the white Sox are the most realistic of that group, but I mean, it's certainly concerning how the white Sox have started this year. I, I can't lie about that for sure. Yeah, I just want to add, I'm a big fan of the Johnny Cueto experience. I just think every team should should be, if Johnny Cueto's on free agency until he's like 44 or 45, somebody should give him a chance, like Bartolo Colon-esque. Because I think it's just, it's just interesting. Johnny Cueto is not a great pitcher. He doesn't have great stuff anymore. But he's he's very eccentric on, on the mound. He's very, he's, he's a unique pitcher. He's going to throw really fast sometimes. He's going he's gonna to confuse the pitcher, or confuse the batters. Or he's going to take his, his sweet time, uh, 45 seconds on the mound before he throws a pitch just to get in the head of the batter. We need more of that. I'm sick of the whole time constraint thing. Uh, I need Johnny Quaid on the mound for eight innings every game. Games will take four and a half hours, but it'll be fun. Eric, any last questions? Anything else? No, I, I don't want this to go two hours because I know you both dislike that. See, I don't necessarily dislike it. I don't, I don't like rambling. And, you know, I do a lot of rambling. Eric does a lot of rambling. RK, you know, RK is pretty concise, I'd say. RK keeps his... Uh, I, I hope I haven't done too much rambling. Uh, you, you haven't done too much rambling. I think if anybody's done too much rambling, it's probably me on this episode, which is why I think we should, uh, we should round it out. RK, you got any last thoughts here and anything you want to say? Yeah, no, just the Eric rambling only happens when he's hosting the podcast. So Donnie did an outstanding job today. So no rambling on, on the part of anyone. So it was good stuff. Yeah, you know, uh, the last time we were both on an Eric podcast at the same time, he, the first 15 minutes were just him talking about how he was he was down and he was he was tired and he was worn <laughs> out. Uh, it was really interesting. But, I, you know, if you listen to an Eric Jensen podcast, which I'll allow him to plug in just a second here, you're going to get some life updates there. And I think, you know, you should want life updates from Eric. So, Eric, okay. Eric, plug. What do you got for us? You know, I've been writing on my blog a lot recently, so go check out the drama of it all, a sportsblog.com. I know it's a long name, but nobody else had it, so that was great. Uh, if you if you just or if you just type in Eric Jensen's sports blog on Google, it should probably pop up um, because I have my name underneath each blog article. Uh, or check out my Twitter's Eric Jensen Sport and Eric Eighteen Utah. Both of them I have automatically set up to tweet. Eric Jensen Sport, I almost consistently, it's just for my articles and podcasts and stuff like that. So if you want just concise content, go there. If you want more rambling and like life updates and like weird abs tweets, go go to Eric 18 Utah. That's that's more up for your speed. I'm trying to curate two different audiences there. So I guess we'll, we'll see how, how that goes. And then the End Zone podcast, we're kind of in a transition period. Trey's pretty busy this year, so I'm kind of trying to figure out how to do a solo podcast. It seems very daunting to me. 
but like I said, I ramble, so I'm, I'm sure I'll be able to figure it out. But I'd love to have you two on within the next three or four weeks to preview the NFC East and maybe do some other uh, preview talk. And I know that you'll be around during football season to jump on occasionally too. So check out the End Zone podcast, more football focused. I plan on being back full time, one to two shows a week come the first week of July. It's kind of dead right now. So go check that out in July. We'll start with uh, season previews. And thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate you both. Yeah, if you are looking for Eric's um, sports blog, you just got to go to Eric18Utah on Twitter, and it's the link in his bio. Maybe uh, the easiest way to get there, I would say. RK, you want to round us out here? Yeah, shout out our guy, Eric. Good man. Always appreciate Eric coming on. You know, definitely go uh, go give him some love over there on, on social media. He's, he's just a good dude. Always loves uh, giving us his sports takes in the in the iMessage chat, actually. So so good man, Eric. Always appreciate hearing from him. It's been a good podcast, of course. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You guys, end of the podcast, folks. I mean, you guys are the best, as you guys know. Check Wes is coming on the podcast next episode. Couldn't make this one because Eric was coming on. So, obviously, we, we had to get Sorry, Shaq, my bad. Eric guy there. Yeah, Eric, Eric, Eric got uh, episode 106, and we got Shaq coming next time. So, be sure to stay tuned. It's been fun time, man. Exciting uh, sports going on right now with the Stanley Cup final, of course. NBA draft, you know, we'll break it all down once those are complete in our next show. So, we love you guys. Roth Podcast, folks. Thanks again, and hope you guys all have a great rest of your day. Peace, everybody. Peace. Life couldn't get better. This gonna be the best.